Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Study on biblical language in numbers, and this is going to be part number 11. Part number 11 on this series on biblical language in numbers. And uh, today I'm going to be dealing with numbers 14 and number 15. My implication what does number 15 I and mean, number 14 mean in biblical language in terms of prophecy? And what does it mean number 15 as well? We're going to look through these two numbers and be able to see how the scripture uses these numbers. Numbers 14 and Numbers 15. Hallelujah. So we start with number 14. Now, number 14, that is from 13, you move to 14. Remember number 13, we talked about a few things in relation to that, but well, one very specific thing was the children of Israel walked around the city of Jericho 13 times and the wall came down. Remember that? Good. <clears throat> so, and we also said that number 13 was a progression from 12. Right. Okay, but we're dealing with number 14. So what is number 14? Essentially, 14 speaks of a double measure of perfection. A double measure of perfection, number 14. A double measure of perfection. And that's because it shares relationship with number 7, which speaks of perfection. Number 7 speaks of perfection. So number 14 speaks of a double perfection, if you want, because it shares relationship with number 7, which has to do with perfection. That's number 14. It is a number that's associated with incarnation. Incarnation. Does you know what it means to incarnate? We're talking about the incarnation of Christ, for instance. So number 14 speaks of incarnation. But it, it has to do with that. It's associated with incarnation. So you find that two times seven will give you fourteen, isn't it? And now let's look at Matthew chapter one, for instance. I want to show you something there. Matthew chapter one. In Matthew chapter one, we found that the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus Christ is divided up into 14 generations, counting from Abraham to Joseph, the husband of Mary. You see, and there are three sets of four generations. So let's look at Matthew 1, just 16 and 17. I think that will be okay for us, what we really want to do with. Matthew 1, 16 17, and the Bible says, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generation from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the coming, I mean the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. So we find that from Abraham to Christ, we have three sets of 14 generations. Amen. Praise the Lord. So again, I want us to understand that number 14 speaks of salvation and deliverance. And this one is very, very important. Number 14 stands for deliverance or salvation in the scriptures. 
It is used about 22 times in the Bible in relation to deliverance, in relation to that which is called salvation. For instance, the town 14th, like we like about 14th generation, is found 24 times in the scripture. So we read of the 14th day of the first month, which is the Passover. When you read up, you're talking about the Passover, say, on the 14th day of the first month, right? There we're dealing with the issue of the Passover. When God delivered the firstborn of Israel from Egypt, the fourteenth day of the first month. So when you talk about the fourteenth, you're talking about deliverance. You're dealing with salvation. Hallelujah. And I want you to get up because very important. When you deal with the issue of number fourteen, you're talking about salvation. You're talking about deliverance. And so you find that on the 14th day of the first month of the week of the month, children of Israel, the first one in particular, were delivered from Egypt. Now, Jesus also was crucified on the 14th day of the first month in AD 30. The 14th day of the first month in AD 30. And this is where we're told. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And that's why I'm saying 14 stands for deliverance and it stands for salvation. Because right on that 14th day of the first month in AD 70, Jesus, the Lamb of God, I mean AD 30, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was crucified. And so he took away the sin of the world. As crucified then as a perfect and sacrificial lamb of God without sin to reconcile man back to God and for man to get relocated to the rightful position that he was supposed to be in relation to God. Praise the Lord. Are you getting that? So you see, the first month of the first, I mean the 14th of the first month, the firstborn of the children of Israel were delivered in Egypt. And the 14th day of the first month in AD 30, Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. So it stands for salvation. The two primary things that needed to get from number 14. Deliverance and what? And salvation. Are you there? Good. So in that sense, you see that Jesus completed his, his, his ministry, if I may use the word, both in the spirit and the natural. Is that okay? He died fulfilling as the Lamb of God. He completed his ministry as one that came to take away the sin of the world and not just that, to put an end to the law. So that's a double perfection. 7-7, seven, seven, if you will. So he completed that. And 7 plus 7 gives you the 14 that we're dealing with. So here you have deliverance and then you have what? Salvation. Number 14. And so, when Jesus did this, what's the primary thing is for man? Let, let's for this look at Matthew 1, 20, 21 from the Amplified, if you can get it. From the Amplified Translation. But as he was thinking this, that is Joseph, when he found that Mary was pregnant <coughs> of the Holy Spirit. As he was thinking this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceiving her is of her from the Holy Spirit. But verse 21 is the key thing. What is the purpose? You get to understand when it came to fulfill the ministry, is there is something very specific that he needed to accomplish. Verse 21 says, She will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus, the Greek form of Hebrew Joshua, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. That is 
That is, now this what I want you to understand. Prevent them from failing and missing the true end and pop and the scope of life, which is God. Salvation is not just you've been saved from sin. Salvation is not just you've been saved so that you can make heaven. Salvation is that you may not miss the true end of life, which is God himself. So the ultimate end and goal of salvation that you receive in Christ is that you might find God. That you may have him back again to you as your father. That is the ultimate end of salvation. It's not about the location. The ultimate end of salvation, the processes of the sacrifice of Jesus, is to bring you into a relationship with God. To have God as your Father. Praise the Lord. And the scripture calls that the true end and scope of life. The true end and scope of life. What is the true end and scope of life? God. And so what is going on here? We are made to understand Jesus is preventing you from missing that goal. What is the goal? God. So whatever thing you do, it drags you back and put you on course. It doesn't want you to miss the goal. So the power of salvation is to keep you on track to get to your final destination, which is God. Your final destination in the true sense is not a location, but a person. And everything that could prevent you from getting to that final destination that which is called salvation, the sacrifice of Jesus, is preventing you from missing that your final destination, which is God. And that's number 14. So like I said, 14 speaks of what? Primarily deliverance and salvation. And that's very important. So you begin to see, um, for instance, like I said, his death on the Passover completed his ministry in the flesh. See, 7 plus 7 equals 14 indicates a double completion of Jesus' ministry. The double completion has to do with that of the flesh and the perfect completion of the fulfillment of the demand of the law. He completed both aspects. 7 plus 7 gives you 14. Praise the Lord. Is that okay? So with his own sacrifice in the human flesh, he completed that ministry and at the same time he completed the ministry which has to do with the animal sacrifices, the Old Testament if you will. So it's a double completion which is 7 plus 7 giving you 14. That gives you the salvation that we're talking about which is finding Christ. But like I said, the primary goal of you being saved is that you might find God, which is your ultimate end. The very direct reason why we are saved is not that we might be relocated somewhere, but that we might find God. Praise the living God. And this takes you to the reason why when he was praying or telling the disciples to pray, he will tell them when you pray, say this, our Father, which art in heaven. He will directing their attention to the ultimate goal, to the ultimate objective of being saved, of being in disciples, our Father, which art in heaven. By implication, your salvation brings you to a personal relationship with God, and that is accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus which has to do with number 14 because he died on the 14th day of the first month in AD 30. Praise the living God. Are we still here? Amen. Now, if you take time to study the Bible, you find out in the book of Proverbs the phrase, the fear of the Lord appears 14 times. And that's very interesting. The fear of the Lord appears how many times? 14 times in the book of Proverbs. Very, very interesting thing for you to see. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is Christ. You see that? Like you find in Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom is Christ. Personified in a way. Praise the living God. So when you see the fear of the Lord, that phrase appears 14 times in the book of Proverbs. And that again is directing us to the issue of our relationship with God and our salvation position with God. He's taking us back to that position. So for you to understand that number 14 speaks of what? Deliverance and salvation. Are you getting it? You need to understand because so for instance if you begin to see number 14 either your dreams or as the case may be what then do you think God is talking to you about it simply means God is giving you some directives is that okay it may be calling attention to the fact that there is something you're missing and he's trying to tell you the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom you see, when you begin to see number 14, it's begin to give you some assurance about your salvation. It's begin to give you some assurance about perhaps you're just getting set to be delivered from the particular bondage that you've been in. You see that? Because like I said, the children of Israel were delivered the firstborn son Delivered from Egypt on the first day of the first month, on the fourteenth day of the first month, when they left Egypt. That's when they were delivered. They were set free on that particular day. And so again, like I said, you come to the book in relation to the death of Christ, you begin to see again that he died on the fourteenth day of the first month in AD seventy. But the sacrifice of mankind. I mean, meeting the demand of the law and his personal sacrifice as a Lamb of God. The completion was that you might be saved. And not just saved so that you might be flying off somewhere, but that you might find your true scope of life, which is God. So it's like the provision that was made, as it were. So that the prodigals may come back to the father's house. And so number 14 begins to speak to us clearly of our inheritance that we have in God. Why? Because once you are saved into God's family, you become an heir and a joint heir with Christ. So you come into the place where you begin to receive your inheritance. So number 14 talks about are coming to the place of possessing our possession. Because now we are sons of God. Now we are children of God. Now we are saved. Praise the living God. Are we here? So, it's, for me, it's very, very crucial when I study the issue of number 14. It speaks quite a volume to me. Again, I have to say this, that if you are having revelations about number 14, then get to know that God is speaking certain things about your deliverance, about your salvation. He's speaking certain things to you about the fear of the Lord. The need for you to pay close attention to what God may be speaking to you about at a particular time. Praise the living God. Are we together? All right. Okay. I would just want to move on very quickly. We're only going to spend much time today. Let's move very quickly to number 15. Number 15. Praise the Lord. Number 15. 15 comes immediately after 14. And this is another interesting number in the course of my study. Number 14 speaks of deliverance. 
Number 14 speaks of salvation. And as soon as you move from number 14, you get to number 15. What's the next thing you think you're going to find when you come out of bondage? You find rest. Are you there with me? Yes. When you come out of bondage, when you come out of captivity, the next thing you're going to look for or you're going to find is what? Rest. So number 15 speaks of rest. Praise the Lord. Are we here? If you check with the Hebrew calendar, you find out the 15th day of the first Hebrew month called Nisan is the fourth day of the feast of the living bread, which was the day of rest for the children of Israel. The 15th day of the living bread in the month of Nisan, which is the first month, was their rest. On the 14th day in the first month, they were delivered. On the 15th day was the feast of living bread. And on that day, it was like a holiday. So they rested. And so what do you think 15 is talking to you about? He's speaking to you about what? Rest. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want you to pick this because they are very important. The numbers you see there, they are not just there for the sake of just mere compilation. In biblical language, they have so much meaning, so much importance, so much relevance. And so, for instance, like we're saying, if you begin to have dreams or revelations, and you are seeing 14, like I said initially, you must understand three major things which I don't want you to miss. Either it's your time of deliverance, or salvation is coming, or God intends you to walk in His fear, the fear of the Lord. Those are the three major things I need you to pick from there. Now, once that is done, what's the next thing you engage in? You come to the place of rest. Can you see that? Praise the Lord. So, like I said, the 15th day of the first Hebrew month called Nisan is the first day of the Feast of a Living Bread. And that's exactly when they just moved out of Egypt, which was the day of rest for the children of Israel. You find the same thing. The 16th day of the seventh Hebrew month begins the Feast of Tabernacle, which also speaks of the day of rest. So, what I'm trying to make you see is, help me now. Once you move out of 14, which is deliverance, which is salvation, which is the fear of the Lord, the next thing you are engaging in is what? Rest in God. Number 15. Gives you rest. And so, it's very critical that when you begin to receive revelations, when God begins to speak to you about number 15, is that your dream or your visions? You just understand what God is pointing out. Either that He wants you to go have some rest, or He wants to give you rest from your labor. Because what deliverance takes place is, is no deliverance takes place because you're in bondage. So once you get out of bondage, God is not saying it's time for you to have your rest. Hallelujah. So if these two numbers are coming to you, either number 14 or number 15, they automatically understand what God is talking about. I'm about to deliver you from the captivity. I'm about to get you out of bondage. And now I want to give you rest. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Are we still here? Let's look at another interesting passage. 
from 2 Kings chapter 21 to 6. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 to 6. 20. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith Lord, set the house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, Now, I also want you to understand, like I always said, what it means to pray most times. It's not always a thing of cry when you pray. Let's look at how Hezekiah prayed. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and I've done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass. After Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, and tell Ezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I've heard thy prayers, I've seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. Third day always speaks of resurrection. Third day always speaks about sons of God. Born in the household of faith. That is why you discover that in the book of Genesis 22 when the children of, I mean, Abraham, the servant, and Isaac we're going to offer the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Remember this story? We are made to understand that on the third day, they saw the mountain of Pharaoh. And what's the next thing that Abraham did? He asked his servant to stay back. He went with Isaac. Servant can't truly assess the third day. Sons do. And so on the third day, Jesus resurrected. And God was telling Hezekiah, you get out of your sick bed on the third day. You see, God is speaks of a new life. And Jesus said the same thing in the book of Luke. Go tell that fox today and tomorrow. I do cures and healing. And on the third day, I shall be perfected. That's a whole realm of life. The third day dimension. And he said, On the third day, thou shalt be out of their sick bed, and thou shalt be able to go to the house of the Lord. Look at the next verse. And the Bible said, I will add unto thy days, how many years? Fifty years. Hallelujah. And I will deliver thee out, deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend the city, this city for my own sake. And for my servant David's sake. But I want you to see this. He was sick, meaning he was a bondage. He was sick, meaning he was under oppression. Are you seeing that? Praise the living God. Right. Now, once he's set free, by implication delivered, what's the next thing that he got? He got rest from the sickness. Did you get that? Right. He got rest from the sickness. So he got 15 years added to his life, which is the number of rest. So Ezekiah came out of sickness, came out of bondage, and entered into number 15, which is rest. So you see, if God is also ministering to you and giving you certain things that relates to number 15, then you have to understand that God is about to give you rest. Setting you free from all forms of bondage, sicknesses, oppression. Delivering you from all of that which is completely opposed to his life. It's setting you free, number 14. And giving you rest, number 15. How interesting is it? Hallelujah. Can you follow this? 
Praise the living God. Now there's something very interesting again I would like to show us. Genesis 41 verse 45. Genesis 41 verse 45. The Bible says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zanatania. And they gave him to wife. They gave him to wife. Asenet, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of all. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now when you check that name, there are 15 letters. <laughs> Praise the living God. You check the name, you can count it. There are 15 letters. The name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph are 15 letters. What is that supposed to talk to you about now? Remember Joseph was defeat, slavery, house of Potiphar, accused, taken to prison. Are you getting this? Get out of prison. So you see, from bondage to rest, he came out of prison and he found rest in God again. So Pharaoh gave him the name, which is 15 letters. And something very important about that, the name means something. It means a revealer of secret or the man to whom secrets are revealed. A revealer of secrets or the man to whom secrets are revealed. That is the meaning of Zanathania or Zanathania, which is the name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph. And that names are 15 letters which speaks of deliverance. I mean, rest, rather. In other words, the implication was you've had all your troubles, you have all the oppressions, you have all of those things that have come against you, you've got all of those accusations, you've gone through prison, which is number 14. You are out of prison, and it's about time you rest. What was the next thing that happened? He gave him a wife. So now you can have your home. Are you done with me? Right. You can rest from all your labor. You can rest from all the oppressions of the enemy. Even in the land of the enemy, it's time for you to have rest. That becomes the meaning of his name. Fifteen later one. And so, when you take this and take that out of of Zachariah, I mean Hezekiah becomes very obvious to you the meaning of number 15. For me these two numbers are so very important and very exciting for me to study. Number 14 and number 15. Are we together? Praise the living God. Amen? Now when you look at Luke chapter chapter 3 verse 1 to 3 it's also an interesting passage now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrad of Galilee and his brother Philip the tetrad of Ituria and of the region of Traconitius and Lycia, the tetrarch of Abinia, just move on, verse 2. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of the Lord came unto John, the son of Zachariah, in the wilderness. What was the next thing? And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And what was the next thing you see there? Verse number 4. As it is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the word of the Lord, make his path straight. Does it tell you anything there? Go to verse 1 again. And then you see what I mean. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, meaning, in the 15th year of this man, John entered into his ministry. You see that? So where was he? He was in the wilderness. He was in bondage. 
He was in captivity. He was sealed up. So what is that supposed to mean to you? 15 is the opening of a new life to you. 15 is you stepping into a new season of your life. That's ordained by God. That's number 15. Praise the living God. So John the Baptist started a new life from being a monk, if you will, in the wilderness into a new season entirely of life where he started his ministry for the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Praise the living God. Are we together? So if I may ask you, what can you get from number 15? It speaks of rest. Right? It speaks of a new season. The opening up of a new day to you. It speaks of the realm of inheritance or sonship. Which is the third day, if you will. Praise the living God. And I want you to get because very important. Don't forget what happened to Joseph. When he got his name as given to him by Pharaoh, which is 15 letters, and then he gave him a wife. A new chapter opened to him from all that he has gone through. From, from the pit where his brother casted him and then sold to the Ishmaelites and then being a slave in Pharaoh's house, being accused, Potiphar's wife, gone to prison and forgotten in prison until he came out of prison. All of this thing together, he came to the point where now he had got rest from all of those pressures and burdens. Praise the living God. Very interesting number for me. So, if God is speaking to you about number 15, you hearing voices, or you begin to see revelation, or you see letters written, I mean, where is number 15 written? You can literally see number 15 once in a while. You just know what God is talking about. He's just trying to say, I'm about to give you rest. He's trying to tell you your days of bondage and captivities are over. Amen. Hallelujah. He's trying to tell you, hey, a new season is opening up for you. I want to open a new door, just like John the Baptist. I want to open a new season in your ministry, in your life, in your home, in your marriage. I want to open up for you a new season. That's why I'm showing you this. But I'll give it to you, number 15. Very interesting. I need it together because it's very, very crucial. Praise the living God. You know, all numbers are very important in the Bible. We may not be able to cover all of that. Maybe we'll get to 20 and then we'll probably stop. But you see, when you get to 21, you begin to see something very, very important again. For instance, it's in number 21. We may touch it. But you see, number 21 speaks of rebellion. You see? It speaks of rebellion. That's why I discovered that. 21 times the children of Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness. 21 times. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You see, and if you take 1st and 2nd Kings together, the sins of Jeroboam were 21. <laughs> are you getting that? So you see, these numbers are not just there. You can literally read these numbers, study these numbers, and begin to see what God is speaking to you about. Amen? Praise the living God. You begin to see what God is speaking to you about. So like this one we're seeing here is so crucial. John the Baptist moving to ministry in 15 years of the of 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 of, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He got out of the wilderness. He came out of everything that was supposed to be in bondage with. Joseph came out, got in name 15 letters, moved out into a new season with a family to start with. You understand that? From a slave boy, not a family man. Hallelujah. Because he got 15. And then, like I said before, you're moving from 14, what do you get next? 15. That is to say, when God is beginning to talk to you about number 14, He's saying, I want to set you free. That when you begin to talk to you about number 15, He said, I want to give you rest. You see how connected they are. 
So one is bondage and captivity, the other one is rest. And so when you see these numbers, you don't get confused. You don't need to go look for some people, some oracles to tell you what is going on. All from the scriptures you can understand what God is talking to you about. He's just trying to say, I want to set you free and I want to give you rest. 14 and 15. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? We may not be able to go through all of this, but you see, if you study the book of Matthew, there are 15 promises that God gave to the children or such as believe. The book of Matthew. Only the book of Matthew have about 15 promises that God gave. If I may just try to atomize them in Matthew 5 verse 3 it talks about the kingdom of God. The promise was about the kingdom of blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. That was a promise for the kingdom of heaven. You see that? That was a promise. Okay? Look at chapter 5 verse number 6. Verse number 6. Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That was a promise. Number 2. Did you get that? Okay. Now go to chapter 5, verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That was a promise. Or oh, that's a promise, if you will. And that's what, what promise is that? Number three promise. Is that okay? Now, go to chapter 5, verse number 9. What do you see? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Promise number four. Hmm? Then, look at chapter 10, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. This relationship. You see that? That's promise number five. That's given by Jesus. I'm talking about the book of Matthew and the promises that I find in the book of Matthew. This promise number five. And this promise is very important because here the Lord is identifying you because you have come to identify with him. Promise number six, you can just look at chapter 11 verse 29. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for a meek and lowly heart and it shall find rest unto your soul. What promise is that? Promise number six. You find rest. Amen? All right. Then go to promise number seven. You can look at chapter 12, verse 15. Chapter 12, verse 15. In the book of Matthew. What do you find there? It says, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother, and sister and mother. This is family. God here consider us as, as what? His own family. And that's a promise because you said. Because you believe in his word. Because you can listen to what he says. You become part of his family. And that's a promise. Praise the Lord. Promise number eight. You can look at chapter 18 verse 4. Chapter 8, I mean 18, verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself, or this little child, the same is greatest where? In the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise. The promise to walk in humility. And that promise is promise number 8. To walk in humility. To humble yourself. And in so doing, Jesus said, you are the greatest, even in the kingdom of God. Because you can humble yourself. Promise number eight. So when we go to promise number nine, you look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 4. Promise number nine. Is that what we said just now? Praise the Lord. Okay. Go to verse 5. 18, verse 5. 
And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. That's the promise. What's the promise? You humble yourself, you receive those who humble themselves, you receive him. The truth of the matter is you receiving his nature. Because you are receiving his ministry through people that he has sent. Promise number 11, that's also promise number 10. So promise 11, we'll give you 18 verse 19. 18 verse 19. Again I say unto you, that if any two of you shall agree on earth, searching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. That's, that's a promise to answer what I will call prayer of agreement. Any two of you shall agree. Your soul and spirit coming into agreement. Your mind getting united with your spirit. You get answers to your prayers. Finitra of shall agree. That's the promise. Promise number 11. Promise number 12. Matthew 18 verse 20. 18 20. But where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's the promise. From the Father. Are you there with me? Right. Promise number 13. Matthew 24 verse 13. What did he say? But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now you can stretch this, but the same shall you discover that. He was speaking to the children of Israel. And this was in relation to what was going to happen in AD 70. The same shall be saved at a particular time. <laughs> Excuse me. At that moment, those who shall endure the persecution to the end, they shall be saved. That's the promise. And that was promise what? Promise number 13. Promise 14. Look at 25 verse 40. Matthew 25 verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto who? Unto me. The promise is when you serve all this, you serve in Christ. So in, in an attempt to serve Christ, which in the truth says, you can see, you can serve him by serving other people. And he's saying, when you serve seven people, you serve me. And that's a promise. Praise the living God. Are you there? Uh, and promise number 15. We're going to find in Matthew 28 verse 19. And he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and what? And the Holy Spirit. The promise is when you go, you teach, you baptize, you set men free for Christ. Praise the living God. And you're not just doing that. The Holy Spirit is coming with you. You're baptizing them in the name of the Father. Now the name of the Father. Father is not a name. Son is not a name. I need you to get that. Father is a title. Son is a title. Is that alright? You need to understand that. So what he's trying to say actually is bring them into understanding an agreement. How do I give this for you to get it right? First Corinthians 10 Amplified Translation Let's look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, Amplified Translation. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud, in which God's presence went before them, and every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea. And the next thing says, And each one of them allowed himself, now you follow this, to be baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea. What's the meaning? They were thus brought under obligation to the law, to Moses, 
and to the covenant consecrated and set apart to the service of God. So when you are baptized into someone, you are brought under obligation to that individual. So when you are told to be baptized into the Father, you come into the place of recognizing who the Father is and your relationship to the Father and your walk with the Father as a son. Are you getting that? That what it means to be baptized into the Father. When you are baptized in the name of the Father, you are brought under obligation to the Father. Is it making sense to you now? And then when you are baptized into the Son, you are brought into obligation to the Son, just like he says, if you receive me, you receive him that sent me. And the reason why Jesus used this word was basically because, you see, the children of Israel, they already believed that God is Yahweh, they believe in God. Is that okay? But they don't believe in the Son. And this is why you discover that. In the book of Acts, they were baptizing in the name of the Son. Why? Because the first convert of the church, they were all Jewish people. They already believed God is your father. But they had to be brought into obedience to the son. Because without a son, you can get to the father. So they were now baptized in the name of the son. Now for the Gentile nation, what brings us into relationship with the son is the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible has said. No man can call upon the name of the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see what it means to baptize the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yeah, you're brought into obligation, into submission to the Father. Now all of that is coming out through the Holy Spirit, through the Son, and then the Father. So, when he told them, go ye and baptize them of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these are dimensions of relationship. So it's not necessarily, if I pray this prayer for you, I bless the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You've got to understand something. I am saying, may your relationship with the Father release blessings upon your life. Because you submitted and believing who the Father is. You've, you've come to the place of accepting the Father that you are a son. Then if I say you bless the name of the Son, what am I trying to make you understand? Because you submitted in accepting the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, may you receive the blessing that comes through that understanding, that agreement. Are you getting this? Right. You, you've accepted him. You believed him. You saved. Because through him, yes, you could be saved and get to the Father. Now you've come to that. So I say, bless the name of the Son. So now I'm saying, may the blessings that are cruised to people who believe that Jesus, the Son of God, come upon your life. Is it making sense? And then when I say, bless in the name of the Holy Spirit. What am I trying to say? May the Holy Spirit with convictors to believe that Jesus, the Son of God, brings such blessings to our life. This is what it means to so bless the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is it making sense to you? <laughs> Praise the living God. I think this is a whole new teaching I'm trying to say now. Now, let me, let me clarify this again. First Corinthians chapter 1, King James. Let's just take it from verse number... Oh, let's say verse number 4. First Corinthians 1. Oh, I thank my God also on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Number 5 says that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. And then he says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirming you. Furthermore, so they that are behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then eight, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, verse number nine. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Now I want you to begin to see how Paul talking here. Verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Look at verse 11. For it have been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Cleopas, that there are contentions among you. Remember, we are joined together in the fellowship of Christ. Now, yeah, he's saying there are contentions among you. What's the next thing? He says, Now, this I say, that every one of you said, I'm one of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. So you begin to see divisions there. What's the contention? Who would they believe into? Some believe in Peter, some believe in Paul, some believe in Christ, some believe in all kind of things. Apollos and Apollos work with, with Paul. Remember that? Okay. So verse, what's the next one? Verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Did you see this now? So what does that mean? Were you brought under obligation to me or to Christ? Did you get that? Look at the next thing. Verse 14. I thank God I baptized none of you but Christians and girls. But I think the key point we're looking for there is verse number 13. Did you get it now? Right. So when he said, but then name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have to understand. Paul is saying, you were not baptized in my name by implication. You were not brought an obligation to me. You were brought an obligation to, to Christ. That's what it means to be baptized. So, what are we saying tonight? In summary, we're saying number 14. Who can volunteer an answer from the audience? What does number 14 stand for? Salvation, deliverance. What again? Hallelujah. Did you get that? Right. Salvation, deliverance. You need to get this in, and it's so important you get it. Praise the living God. All right. What about number 15? Can I get an audience? What's that? Huh? Rest. What is that? Huh? A new season? Yes. What again? Interesting. Capture that. It's very vital. I told you, for instance, Children of Israel came out of Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. Remember that? Right. And they were delivered on the 14th day of the first month. So they got deliverance, which is number 14. Then they got 15, which is rest. And I told you, Joseph name was 15 letters given to him by Pharaoh. And he gave him a wife. We speaks of he who have revelations on whom God's secrets. And we got to understand that right from that moment, Joseph entered into what? Rest. And then we'll find that Luke 13, reading the case of, I mean, three, talking about just, I mean, uh, John the Baptist, and the 15th year of Tiberius, what happened? He entered into his ministry with a new season. But the most important thing again I will find in relation to that 15, as we begin to look through the catalog of evidence and revelations we begin to have, you find that God brings you to a new season, a new day, a new walk with Him. Amen? It gives you rest when He begins to speak to you about number 15. So I need you to get all of these things together. So that if you're getting revelations, and I showed you from the book of Matthew, how God gave us 15 promises from his word. But the most important thing again, that I need you never to forget, is uh, the case of King Hezekiah. How I many of you remember this story? Right, King Hezekiah was sick unto death, and God gave him how many, how many more years? 15 years. Rest, recovery, a new day, a new season. Number 15. So friends, whenever God starts speaking to you on this basis, understand what he's saying. 
When you begin to hear God talk to you, number 14 or number 15, understand what God is talking to you about. You don't need any, any prophet to interpret these things to you. You already, you know, you can come to the place of this understanding to know what God is saying. When you understand what I'm speaking about tonight, you become a prophet of your own self. And when God is showing you number 14, He says about time you're getting out of bondage, you're getting to freedom. He shows you number 15, says about time you come into rest. And I'm giving you a new day and a new season, a new walk. Just like John the Baptist moved into a new season. Just like Joseph moved into a new season. Just like Ezekiah moved into a new season. After sicknesses that was almost going to kill him. And that is the word of God for us tonight. I hope I have helped you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.